Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm a Chartered Management Accountant and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition or at some point in the future want to exit their business. We're going to bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm really excited to be launching my new masterclass, How to Understand Accounting Lingo. The masterclass is set up for entrepreneurs and business owners who want to get more financial understanding of their accounts and financial reporting. We'll be looking at things like P&L terminologies, EBITDAs and how it impacts valuations and trends, balance sheets, net assets and working capital, how the balance sheet might impact valuations and cash flows of businesses in general. I've set it up because with the work I do with August, we see about 100 balance sheets a month. And I feel that business owners in general don't have that much financial acumen in standing financial reporting or how to challenge their accountant. So it'll be a great way for you to get an insight into financial statements and how managing your accounts can really impact the value of your business. So looking forward to seeing you there. It's how to understand accounting lingo. You can find it and link straight to Eventbrite. And I'm really hoping you're enjoying the Build Debt Exit podcast. I look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Julie Wilkerson. Thanks for everyone listening today. Um, I started the podcast off the back of the work we do in my firm, Wilkerson Accounting Solutions. Uh, We offer financial um, consultancy for business acquisitions and exit planning. And the reason I started the Build and Exit is because we've had lots of entrepreneurs, investors, people have sold businesses, bought businesses on to give real life examples, um, people that are doing things in reality today. And we try to look at the opportunities and the risks of the areas because we know there's risks as well. So I had some great guests and I'm really excited today to have Paul Avins with me. Thank you, Paul. Yes, yes, Avins, but Avins, don't worry, sorry, it's all yeah, good. Oh, it happens. I, should... I spent my life getting called Avins. I wouldn't worry about and it. And you know, I'm normally so good. I normally <laughs> check these things. I normally do all my checks before I start. And I thought I had don't this worry. one down to it's a fine. T. So anyway, I do apologise. Um, <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> anyway, I'm really excited about this one because we've done a bit of you know pre-shoot to see if there's any questions and things out in the market. Because um, the reason I've invited Paul on, so Paul... I suppose is a coach. He's been doing it for over 20 years, has coached over 550 businesses, is actually a multiple investor yep. himself in businesses. Um, but what really, I am. yes, but what really stood out to me is, I suppose, what you're helping clients with. You know, acquisitions are quite prominent at the minute, and it, and you've got, uh, within six months, your sort of clients are doing 30 mil of acquisitions with one actually doing an eight figure acquisition. Um, so, yeah, we we can unpack yeah. some of that for sure. Yeah. Um, so anyway, first of all, uh, I'll hand over to you just to give a bit of background about yourself. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to give it a slightly different spin uh, in case um, people have heard me before. But fundamentally, so I've been um, coaching entrepreneurs to scale to seven figures in sales, seven figures in profit, and then seven to eight figures in exit value for the last 20 years of my career. So, But before that, I was absolutely an entrepreneur. I built um, two uh, businesses that I successfully exited from, uh, managed to lose everything I'd made during those successful exits uh, during um, one of the financial crashes um, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, so yeah, so I've, I've kind of known the highs and the lows, and I like to say, look, I'm an entrepreneur that also runs a coaching and training business um, because I'm passionate about 
helping entrepreneurs to develop the skills and the mindsets and the strategies that enable them to create financial freedom in their own life, which is fundamentally why most of us get into entrepreneurship is we want more control and more freedom. And what happens for too many entrepreneurs is that they either end up uh, losing the control and or losing the freedom and the business runs them rather than them running the business, right? So one of the questions I regularly get from people is, um, you know, how help me get out of being stuck in the day to day um, so that I can actually work on the business, not in the business. And I spoke on stage with Michael Gerber about 15 years ago. And I think there's an awful lot of thing that people that talk about work on the business, not in the business, but actually, how do you do that? And more importantly, how do you get out of running the day-to-day operational side of it? Um, and you know, how do you exit from the day-to-day so that you can start doing things like acquisitions in terms of scaling? So our acquisition journey, journey as a community, um, and I'm very big on community because I'm a great believer that in the, running a business is a lonely place. Um, it's quite isolated. Um, and ultimately, if you're trying to do everything on your own, it's a, the, the risks are significantly higher. You talked about risks earlier and the risks are much higher if you're just set, sitting, you know, trying to figure it all out on your own. And trial and error is an expensive way to learn anything. So You know, we're big about building a community of like-minded entrepreneurs who are on that seven-figure journey. Um, And one of the things we were were discussing with that community was once they got to sort of like three to five, um, between three and five million pounds in turnover, they then had this choice, which was, okay, do you want to go to 10 million organically, which is going to take a a lot more capital potentially and a lot greater risk? Or is there a way that we could accelerate that process and and do it more strategically and do it with, you know, in a a way that um, reduces the risk profile? but um, builds shareholder value, which is one of the things we're really big about. How do we build shareholder value? So um, for us, that journey started when I invited uh, a speaker in called Guy Bartlett, uh, who came to speak to my, I think you might have met him. He was at the VIP networking mm-hmm. dinner you attended. So Guy was there. Guy actually came and presented as a, a paid speaker at one of my masterminds. Um, and, and I was like, yeah, this is absolutely an area that we need to really kind of help clients understand and get into. The, the cool part of that journey is that Guy came and spoke as, a, as an expert. And now Guy's actually in my inner circle as a member, which is kind of a pretty cool story for us three and a half years later. He's actually in the community because he gets so much value from it. But what we started to do then was take the community on this journey of understanding how to use acquisitions. If you think about scale, S-C-A-L-E, the S stands for strategy. The A really, if you're at a level of three to five million stands for acquisitions, right? So if you're not looking at acquisition, you're missing an opportunity to create massive shareholder value, massive leverage for a potential exit at some at some point. And you know, last year uh, as a community, um, we helped clients exit for over 27 million pounds. That was cash that was paid to entrepreneurs for their businesses by corporates, by private equity, because they built the right kind of shareholder value. But also I think when you look at in terms of how do you do acquisitions and you know we brought in you know we've had some amazing speakers come and, and talk to our community from private equity in terms of understanding what are the eight things that private equity look for um, in terms of that there are very specific things that private equity look for when they make an investment into a business and also looking at you know acquisitions is like okay great where are the synergies where is the vertical integration potentially how can we really kind of do that and i think there's a mindset piece and i'm sure you find this too with people actually believing that it's possible so you know if if someone says to you hey you can buy you can buy a business for no money down or none of your own money well that that's that's true is it harder today than it was seven seven or eight months ago yes definitely although the opportunity right now in the market because uh, obviously liquidity is a bit tighter there's banks are being a bit stricter with what they'll lend and won't lend the the funders are uh, you know it's, it's not as easy as it was to raise money however that's meant that it's actually a lot easier than it was to do vendor finance deals so 
um, as you sort of alluded to in the intro, we've got in uh, in one in, in sort of in our community across a couple of mastermind programs and coaching programs, we have uh, the first six months of this year, we're just on track to complete about 22, 23 million pounds worth of acquisitions. Yeah. Now, the deal structures are very different. There are different deal structures in there, which I'm happy to sort of like chat and through and, and, and unpack. But I think what's really interesting is one of those deals um, is outside the UK, even they're making the acquisition outside the UK. And they're making that acquisition and it, and it will literally double the double the size of the business overnight. And and that's quite a scary thing, actually. If you think you're a 10 million pound business and you're about to become a 20 million pound business, that's actually quite a scary thing from a leadership perspective and a mindset perspective. And you've really got to have the right strategies and the right coaching to get you ready for that because it's it's a it's a whole it's a massive step change, right? It's a massive step change in terms of the business that you're running. Operationally, it's the same stuff just done at, at a bigger scale, but mentally to lead um, now a team of close to 250 people as a CEO, um, you're going to be a, di a very different person. And, and the, the lady who runs this organization is, is amazing and is a big, a massive into leadership and personal development has been investing in herself for years to get ready for this. So I think there's always a piece that goes acquisitions are great providing your at a level of skill as a entrepreneur or owner that can actually handle what's about to happen. And I don't think that gets talked about enough, actually. Um, I don't know what you think, but I don't think that gets talked about enough. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I see, I see all sorts of people looking to buy acquisitions. I mean, I do think, you know, everybody has dreams. I mean, I'm big into manifestation, meditation. I do a lot of that sort of thing. So I believe you can do anything you want, but I also think you have to be realistic because I think the problem is, with the no money down deals, I mean, I know it can happen. To be honest, I got a good deal. I've just bought my business by doing an acquisition. Lower, not I'm not as big as that. So I've only been going three years, so you can do it. And we got a good deal. I think the problem is the courses people are going on are telling them, and, and they have no contingency strategy. That's the main problem. Is it's not the fact that you can yeah. you can't do the money down deal. You can. And it depends on the type of business stru structure, I think, as well, whether it's asset backed or whether it's sort of cash flow financing based. It makes a big difference, yeah. but. Even then really? you can get good deals. I mean, I got a good deal on mine because you have to just have good, you know, relationships with the sellers and basically get the opportunities of where the business is. But I think people are doing it, sort of just launching into it, thinking, oh, it's easy, I'm just going to buy this business. But I just think the hard work starts after acquisition. Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the hard work. I mean, <laughs> I know myself, I've done one, you know, we've we've bought quite an owner-operated business because we did a trial on you know, trying to get sort of retiring accountants into sort of the modern age and it is hard work and, and you know but it's it's good if you can do it right you've got the team around you and we've got a big team around us and we're going on a funding round now to um basically hire a ceo because i've got my own sort of exit and step down route like you were talking about um and i just don't think yes. people are planning enough you are right i think everyone thinks an exit has to be a full exit but it's, it's not true yeah, and, it an exit to me is just how do i make my life better like as a person yeah. how much do i want to work how many hours am i working my life my dream and if i'm not how do i change it and that could be going from five days to four days initially you know you do it slowly that's yeah. that's my thoughts on it anyway no i think i think you're right i think uh, i have a i have a um a concern about courses that are running around teaching people who've never run a business how to buy a business because now you're it's, that's like dropping somebody into formula one car and expecting them to learn to drive at the same time it's it's uh, the, the chances of you not successfully not crashing that thing are rare and i think i think there's a difference between if you're 
um, looking to buy a business and you've never run a business and you're coming out of a corporate environment. And there's a difference with that between saying you're already a seasoned entrepreneur who's built a six, you know, in our case, six or seven figure business on your own and you understand what it takes to build it and grow it and sustain it. And now you're looking to accelerate that with strategic acquisitions. I think there's a big difference between the two. And I think the thing that surprised me um, and I've had two or three people, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn and stuff and go, can you coach me through this is, you know, and now we do do this as a, as a sort of 90 day program where we take people post acquisition and coach them through the first 90 days in terms of what to do during the first 90 days that you actually buy a business because buying it, it, it the journey really starts when you take ownership and when you buy it, right? That's when it starts. And I think how you fund it is a, is a creative conversation, right? So whether you're funding it with with cash or whether you're funding it with paper, as one of my clients has done, where they've they've done a share swap for a two million pound business and swap shares into their company, and they've done that and taken the director in as one of the directors in as well because the director was much younger than the the owner who wanted to retire. So the the you know that's a paper transaction, but in in reality wise, what it's done is made all the shares that much more valuable but i think there's a difference between that kind of an acquisition and an acquisition when you know you're coming you've, you've never run a business and suddenly you're using this as a as an investment strategy essentially to buy a business that you, you don't know anything about you've never been in the industry which i've seen too many people try and do this and they just buy something and go oh it's a passive investment and i'm like you are absolutely setting yourself up for a world of pain and learning because nothing is passive in business. So you have to have an element of involvement. Even if it's a day a week, you're still going to need an element of involvement. Um, even if it's only management meetings once a week, there'll be some element of involvement. Don't buy a business with the the belief that you can just leave it alone. It'll just run itself. It just, it just doesn't happen that way. There is an element of involvement. And I think the exit is an interesting conversation because I think you can exit from being an operator. I think you can exit from being a manager and put managers in. I think you can then move up to being a director level and you can even exit from, from a director level role and be an owner and sit on the board as a non, as a non-exec of your own company or as a shareholder and sit on the board and then not be operational at all. All of those are valid exits. They're all valid exits. And if you want to keep the business because you might want it, it, it provides you with a great lifestyle, you love it, you've got a connection with the people, you don't want to sell it, then that's great. Or you could do a part exit sale to things like uh, private equity where you could sell uh, 40% of the business to a private equity or 60 and one of my clients got an offer recently from private equity to buy 70% of the business, which allow would allow him to take a whole bunch of cash off the table right now. But at the same time, it would allow him to put liquidity into the business to fund it, to double or triple it as well. So there are different times and different strategies depending on what your personal vision is and you, you said it best there with what's your personal ambition what's your personal goal what's your personal dream and then how do we make the business support that um and then and then build it and design it strategically in a way that actually delivers what you want personally so if you want to work two days you know, one of my clients came to me and wanted to sell his business because he was just burnt out completely burnt out he's been doing it 30 years in construction just had enough and i said look if you give me a year and let me coach you for a year, I said, I'll have you down to three days a week. And he was like, no, you can't. And I was like, look, just trust me enough for a year. We'll have you down to three days a week. And now he's down to two days a week. A year later, he's down to two days a week. The business is um, pretty much, you know, give or take the cost of putting the management team in as profitable as it was with, you know, before, but he's got his life back. He's he's just about to sail around the world and do a, a, a sailing trip and a, a race with a, a, a sailing race thing where he'll be gone for three months. And it's like, why would you now try and sell that business? Why would you sell it? It's like he's got the dream lifestyle that he wanted and the cash flow. Mm -hmm. And I think um, too many entrepreneurs feel that they have to sell 
that that's the only out, the only way out. Where, whereas exit can mean many different things to many different people. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I think the sale is the easy way out. I think it's easy to get so deflated in the business and I suppose overworked that you can't see any other way. Because I think you have to have a certain type of yeah. mindset. It's interesting you do the post consultancy because actually we do a post consultancy. We come from a different angle because we come from a finance perspective. So I just know the average business doesn't have great accounting. I've, I've prob- we probably see about 100 balance sheets a month. True. I would say, <laughs> I think True. I've only ever seen 5% of companies over 3 million with a CFO. And even then yeah. the CFO is, well, normally it's the sister or the father or someone in, and, and they're not really a CFO because most of them don't have any forecasts or budgets. So we know when we look yeah. at the deal that they don't have a good infrastructure. And when we help businesses, we look at how does finance become a culture? Because coming from a corporate can give you some good idea because it gives you a structure. And I and what we used to learn in corporate when we, because I came from corporate background in finance is an owner can't sit there on his own and build his own budget. You know, finance should become a culture where you bring your, your team upwards and you train them to become financially literate, essentially, so they can build the budgets. Because as a finance department, month end should be done with the cost center managers or the directors or whoever the leadership team is, not the owner. Because if the owner is doing the, the reviews, he's too involved in the business because he knows too much. That's a great insight. And, and, That's a brilliant insight. And if they're doing that, then they, they can't know everything. They just they just don't have the time. And if you think you do have the time, you norm actually, you're probably running it into the ground worse than somebody else if they came with a separate pair of eyes because you'll be too involved because you won't see the wood for the trees, basically. And that's what we try to aim to is help. That's how we think businesses become an asset is essentially they run on their own. And to do that, you have to have a good control and governance around that. Um, So our post acquisition is all around that it's all about controls governance infrastructure like how do you get your financial reporting so essentially the owner feels or the new investor feels comfortable stepping away because they know that they're going to get the yeah. right reporting at the right time from the right people to make those decisions um and often yes. uh, not many SME businesses i mean most of them don't even have a management accounts let alone any form of reporting cycle or anything like that so that that's kind of where we come from and it is hard work because that's why we're trying to get into people that are getting to exit because it would be better if the seller but mm. this isn't easy you know some people come to us oh can you do it in a month i mean you're talking well <laughs> i mean you're talking i mean i've seen businesses of like 20 million writing their marketing on a whiteboard you know they've got no systems no processes no controls no governance no segregation of duties you know and my my one question i always ask people is the biggest question is if you were going to let somebody else make a payment so if you were going to go all the way to order through to payment, would you trust not to pay someone wrong? If you don't have that cycle, you don't have that trust, the business isn't running independently because somewhere the owner's having to get involved, which means they're making a decision in their mind. And when you're making decisions yeah. in your mind, there's risk because it means it's in here and it's not yeah. it's not in a system or a process somewhere. And that's what we look at. Yeah, I mean, you just dropped some absolute gold there. And I think, um, I think this is the difference when people are, if you're building your business up to sell it, if that's part of the strategy is to, is to exit it, then actually one of the things that drives value on an exit is how good the financials are, how good the projections are, how good the sales forecasting is, all of those things, because it makes that asset that much uh, safer to buy. And um, most people, that's why you want to build those things out as part of, you know, whether it's a, a coaching program with us or, you know, with you, it's like the key thing is if you've got to have those, what we call the foundation 
expectations of a grown-up business, right? So for us, you, you know, we if you want someone to give you grown-up money for or your business at some point, it's going to need to be a grown-up. And that means that it, it's got systems, it's got pe- people, process, profit. The three Ps are sitting there. You know, you've leveled up the internal processes. You've got the right team around you. And in fact, one of the things that a private equity guy said to me recently was he said, we don't buy businesses, we invest in people. Mm-hmm. And he said, there's a fundamental difference. He said, we, he said, if you don't have the right leadership team around you, we're not buying the business. It doesn't matter how profitable it is. We're not buying it. He said, we, you know, we look at the people as, as one of the critical elements of buying any business. You're buying talent. And I think, you know, so many entrepreneurs, are, you know, and I've been guilty of it in the past in my own life where we try and do everything rather than hire really good people and then let them to work with the right, with the right controls and the right governance. And I think... You know, one of the things I say to people when they do an acquisition is like the first 90 days are critical in terms of what you do, but also what you don't do. And and I think the first 90 days is about going, listen, right now, step one is go around and reassure everybody. You've got to reassure and review everything, right? Whatever you thought in due diligence, I guarantee you it'll be different when you're inside it. But go around and re- reassure everybody, reassure the key customers, reassure the key contacts, reassure the key team members, reassure the key suppliers. There are a load of people you just need to go around and reassure, first of all, that you know everything isn't going to change you're not going to tear it all apart and it's it's actually you're in it for the long term here and you know fundamentally you want to reassure people step one and then you want to just review everything from the ground up and just just don't change anything just understand more about how it works more about how it operates what's missing you know and then and then you can start to look for what you know what i call the quick wins in terms of internally like how do you can get the quick wins for you know things that people have probably always wanted to do or have been saying to the previous management for years i'll oh, be great if you could just sort this out and they never did and if you are able to and if it's not going to cost a lot of money to do it then do it because the 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 emotional bank account you build with the team that you just inherited and suddenly when you go in and fix stuff they've been complaining about for years and and, and i had one of my clients do this whether it was it was simple stuff like like they were running really old computers or they were running, you know, with really bad. I remember one was, I bought a business, this was years ago, I bought a um, pay-per-click agency. And when I sat down with a team and said, what, what, what's, what's something I could do for every single one of you in the next month that would make your life easier and more productive? Which is a good question to ask, by the way. Um, and <laughs> two of the people in the office said, could we have decent monitors, please? And could we have decent, you know, like stands so that we're, you know, they're not, we're all resting on these crazy book towers that we've got. And uh, I was like, done and it, and it cost me i think it was less than like five or a thousand pounds or whatever it was to buy two or three extra monitors and a proper stands for everybody and and not only did the productivity go up morale went massive everyone was like super excited like they'd got this thing that had been bugging them for ages that the previous owner didn't want to spend the money on and it's like okay i've just bought myself a massive emotional bank account with with all of you now when i want to make changes down you know in the next three six months that i feel actually the business needs to make to improve it and grow it forward um then at that point, you're going to be more bought into supporting me because I supported you. And I think, you know, too many entrepreneurs buy a business and then try and change it quickly without without doing the work to really understand the culture, really understand um, how they can earn the trust of the team, right? For T and and team stands for trust. So if you don't really go in and earn the trust of people, it's very hard for you to then ask them to start changing stuff. Um, you know, which is why why we have tools to help people do that and help people understand the, pe- the who's on the team. I mean, that's a critical part of anything anything from that perspective. So, do you, do you agree with that? Do you see a lot of uh, people who come in and don't take the time to really understand the, the talent that they've got? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of things. I think the biggest thing I see is people say they're going to do that. I think what ha- what I see happens is when 
things get a bit strained. So especially when people have used all the cash, you know, when they do the no, because people think yep. a lot of people do the no deals thinking they could use the money in the business to buy it. I mean, I think you need a level of yep. money in the business, especially when it's new, because I would say 90% of the businesses we see operations always drop at the beginning because somewhere along yeah. the lines, the owner, the previous owner, even if they say they don't actually do get involved, maybe they don't intentionally do it. I'm not saying they're lying, but they do. And there's an impact because the operational people don't know how to do everything because they go, oh, well, he stepped in and fixed it, you know, and that's, and the pro- and then that's why you need the cash flow. And what I see then is that puts a bit of a strain on the business because the cash flow drops a little bit. Then they want the information. Yeah. They want to know the numbers. Why are sales dropping? And and nobody has it because they're asking teams to do work that they've never done. And even leadership teams, even directors. I, most directors that I see aren't really leaders. They're there to support the owner. So it might have helped the owner go from 60 hours a week to 40 hours a week. And for them, it's the best thing since sliced bread. But actually in the real world, the director's not really leading anything as such. You know, he couldn't lead that business on his own. He's a bit of like a, you know, he he helps, but not on its own. So when you don't have that person other than the owner to then come in and go, well, I want the numbers. I want the sales. I want that. They they don't know how. They don't know how to plan. Or that's my experience. No one's one's ever built a forecast or a budget. And um, and yeah. and that's why I think it's so important to get the financials in place within that first ninety days. But what you've got to do is bring people on board because you can't go in and start dictating to them straight away. I want this, I want that, because you can't have it because the systems probably can't even report it. You know, they probably don't even have the yep. system to even report the information. Data doesn't exist. The right? data is not yeah. there. Yeah. And I always say yeah. systems don't fix bad processes. Systems make them worse. Um, because the input <laughs> makes the output bad. Like, for instance, I've seen people spend thousands of pounds on stock systems, but no one puts the stock on. And then they blame the system. Yeah. Like, well, it's not the system, it's the people, because the people aren't putting the stock on. So the system's fine, but your people don't know what they're yeah. doing. And, that, and I see that sort of thing all the time. So people just think, oh, I'll come in and systemize. It's always systemized. And systemizing is great, but not without a process, because yeah. if the process doesn't work, the system doesn't work anyway. So that I just think you need to give it time, and that's why you need the right support, because you've got to be sensitive about it, but probably a bit stricter. Because yeah. I did the same as you. All my team wanted was two screens. They were like, I just want two screens. I was like, we well, can have two screens. I was like, why haven't you got two screens anyway? Um, because they used to print, yeah. print everything got printed. And I was just like, oh. So yeah, I, I said, if any, I say, if you haven't done so, if something went wrong in 1980, we don't do it again. We don't do it now just because it went wrong 25 <laughs> years ago. You know, we look at a new way of doing no. it because that happens a lot. But I think you make a really interesting point, which is um, two things, really. I think, yeah, trying to buy uh, mistakes I've seen people make, right? Trying to buy businesses, no money down, and then ripping all the cash out uh, at the very beginning, right? That's one. And I think, you know, it's absolutely dangerous to do that. Number two is not finishing building their existing business so that they could truly step away and do the acquisition. So they they do the acquisition while they're still growing or scaling their existing business. And we try to coach people very hard against doing this. doesn't mean they don't choose to do it anyway. And they're adults. It's It's their business they can choose. But we coach them very hard not to for the simple reason that if you're not careful then the core business that's been funding everything or giving you the 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 energy then uh, dissipates and it's what we call founders energy and when you take a founder out of a business there is a gap between when the founder leaves and then somebody else steps in and replaces that energy and and during you're right during that period there is a risk unless the sales and marketing is incredibly well automated and systemized that revenue drops because that energy dissipates it goes out of the business and it's been probably coming out for a while because they were exiting right so 
if your own business isn't really set up and you haven't got a great team and you haven't got great processes and you're not out of the boxes and then you buy another business, all you do is run the risk of actually you taking your founder's energy out of the current business to put it into the new one you've just bought. And then three months later, you've got a cash flow problem in the current business because you're not paying attention to it. So I think there's a really important piece about here about making sure that w- what you've already built is really running without you or at least down to a day a week. I mean, I you know, and I'm practicing what I, not just what I teach, but what I, live right so i've got a video production company that i bought 18 months ago so i'm not just teaching this stuff i'm living it and i think that's a really important distinction is that this isn't theory i'm doing it i bought a video production company i'm i've put a really good um general manager in slash sales director in to run all the sales and marketing for it and i'm down to probably half a day a week in that business and we grew it by 256 percent last year and and that great and that and now the team's growing and we're recruiting more people and more editors and we're scaling that business but i'm i'm no more than half a day a week in it which means i can still focus on you know helping the 50 clients in programs and coaches because that's where my time goes but i think you got to be very careful and understand how much of a drag of attention it can be and i think you know with any business listen there are surprises it doesn't matter how good you do diligence is i mean and i'll tell you this this happened the other day to somebody some and how it got missed i do not know but they did a an acquisition where they were buying a business i won't say which sector it was in but it was a it was a fairly well-known sector they were buying it and nobody checked um the owner's previous history like they didn't they didn't google the previous owner like how it got missed i don't know and then when they did a press release that they were buying this business it turned out this guy had been had up you know was mentioned in the houses of commons there was criminal investigations into him all kinds of stuff <laughs> so on the one hand great story if we'd have spun it the right way that they were taken over from him but we had to deal with some really interesting kind of blowback from uh, from a media perspective because obviously it dug all the old stuff back up again and no one had checked it and again it's like little things like that that you go yeah okay i'm, I'm gonna need to you know we jumped in and we fixed it and we spun the story in a way that isn't it great that, that he's gone now and there's a you know there's a values-led business owners running the business but if we'd have known that before we'd have just spun the pr slightly differently or would have positioned the story differently at the beginning of the acquisition and yet nobody googled his name and checked him um, and you go well surely that that should have been done in due diligence yeah there's lots of things that should be done in due diligence but sometimes human beings miss stuff and i think if you don't if you don't account for the first 90 days to go, I'm going to be present for, I'm going to be present with a new acquisition for the first 90 days. That's why if you, if you buy a business and you're still in corporate, I think it's high risk because you can't be present. So you can't be around. So you're still trying to do the other job or you're still trying to do this on the side. And it just, it inevitably means you're not present and you're not there energetically to support the team and you're not there to answer questions. And you do it right in the first 90 days. And then, yeah, you can get out of boxes after that. But I do think you need to be available and, and, a, and around. And the best thing, you know, you want to do, in my opinion, in the first 90 days is to do a two-day team meeting where you're going, right, let's all go through what's the vision, what's the values, where are we going now, what's the direction of travel, um, you know, what does the strategic plan look like for the next two years, get everybody bought into that. I mean, I've, I've got one client who um, in the first 18 months of working with uh, in my inner circle has bought £25 million worth of businesses, right? So that that's a pretty aggressive growth, you know, it's bought like five businesses that all range for between three and eight million, something like that. But again, now we've got an integration challenge because they've all you know we're trying to get all the same systems into all of these companies that didn't have any processes or systems before you know didn't have any system for recruitment i mean this is where having a profiling company that i own is quite useful because we're able to profile all the people in the business that you buy and straight away you can start to understand okay great i know how to deal with this person in that role because i know their profile right i'm not trying to figure it out i've actually got a blueprint i can look at it and go this is how that person needs to be managed this is how they could add more value but again it's probably a two-year plan Mm -hmm. to put all the 
systems and processes and get all that data sorted to get 25 million pound group reporting in the way that you would want it to do because like you say these people don't know what they don't know and they've never done it before so I think there's an element of you'll have to have an element of patience going into this as well. It's like not everything's going to be fixed instantly. And I think if you're going to buy businesses as part of a scale-up strategy, there's a there's a definite element of patience and integration that needs to be planned. Um, and most entrepreneurs, if you don't have the right team around you, that's going to frustrate you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see it all the time. It's just um, I see a lot of people that are rushing and they don't do due diligence properly. You know, they're like, how long will it take? Well, I'll be able to do it quickly. It's like, well, how long is a piece of string? You know, it depends what you find, doesn't it? You know, some, I mean, I don't think we ever see <laughs> yeah. any balance sheets that don't have at least 10% risk because nobody accounts for anything correctly because they don't know how to. Um, because let's just face it, the account world is just terrible. Even though I'm in it, I just sometimes I still get... I've only been in practice for three and a half years since I've had this business and it does still shock me what the things I see is quite unbelievable but um yeah no one's accounting for things before they sell it let alone after they buy it <laughs> yeah can I just go back I want to pick up I know I appreciate we're tight on time but I just want to pick up on one thing you said that was so important and I just want to reiterate it in case anybody missed it but uh, one of the things that we've done in the last um since since COVID really that's had the big impact is that once businesses hit around about the two to three million pound turnover level now we're bringing we work we work with an organization and we bring in part-time cfos to those clients and i'd say it's been the single best thing we've done in the last three years in terms of helping clients to get control of the numbers is to bring in an expert who uh, who sits in that fd box and i think if you don't have that really good financial governance you don't have those uh, that person on the team i think trying to then scale to 5 million and then to 10 if you want to go on that journey with acquisitions the risk factor is huge if you haven't got really robust person sitting who's got experience the clients who've done this the best successfully have, have hired a part-time fd who also has experience of acquisitions and then they're able to really kind of do the acquisition piece and do the deals and and that fd has proved massively valuable but i just think you dropped it sort of as a almost like a bit of a throwaway line that, that they that not many people have it and i'm saying i think it's a massive competitive advantage i think if you get to three million pounds and you go right we need or two and a half we need a part-time fd now i think you're a massive competitive advantage over other people in your marketplace regardless of whether you want to scale or not because you're going to have so much better control and visibility on cash um on uh, you know and opportunities to then do things like acquisition so i think without that person on your team and a properly skilled up fd not not somebody who you know has, hasn't had that kind of accounting training. Um, I think it's risky. I think re scaling any business without that function and that skill set on your board as a CEO. And if you think about yourself as a CEO, I think it's a really risky thing not to do. So I'd strongly encourage everyone listening to this to go, look, you get to that part in your journey, CFOs, uh, even if they're part-time fractional CFOs, should be part of your plan and certainly part of your budget. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think all areas like HR, finance, are sort of all back office support is really important, whether that's like you say, part-time. But I also think in finance, one of the things I think people, so one of the things we do, we know that when people get to about deal four, generally they do, sometimes need some form of finance in-house because one of the problems is people go straight for an FD but they don't actually have a finance team and that can actually be as much as a yep. problem I know because I've, I've been an FD I'm, I know what it's like in finance I've worked in every role in finance so I know what it's like and I know that as an <laughs> FD they don't tend to like to do transactional work well, it depends what type of FD you get but top you know but I've seen FDs from the top four and we've got it and 
you know, because the junior team aren't good and the FD hasn't, you know, they're so strategic, they're so strategic that they're not hands-on enough. Actually, it can be quite harmful because they think they're in a position, but actually the 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 journals and the month's end aren't getting done properly because you haven't got the right junior team because an FD can't really deliver anything if they don't have the right lower levels because they're not going to, and if they are doing it, Agreed. you're paying too much for it, which is why we set up, that's, that's why I set up like a virtual finance team because we, could give access to sort of like a collective of different roles. So it's a cheap, I suppose, a more collaborative and a bit of a consolidated rate rather than, you know, because sometimes people only need the FD maybe two days a week, but they might need different skill sets for the whole five day five days. And it, um, yeah. and and so we will look at it and go, right, maybe you need that one in-house and this one stays outsourced. And then every deal four or something. And what we then do is help them recruit trainer on board because what I find is owners don't know actually what, an FD should deliver. They think they know. Yeah, they know question. what an F- they point. know what an FD should do. Like they know an FD drives a strategy. But how do you know if your FD delivers? Because we see it quite yeah. a lot. Where I, I mean, I've worked with FDs, and you know, not all of them probably have delivered to the scope of maybe what the owner expected. It doesn't necessarily mean the FD is wrong. It could just be maybe they've brought in the wrong type. Because you know, you have financial accountants, commercial accountants, strategic accountants. Like you say, there's all different types of accountants. And I suppose average business owners don't really know all the different intricacies of. No. Which is why I'm going to be doing my masterclass. <laughs> on finance cool. so, yeah. well i think i think it's needed i think it's needed though because i think so at a very basic level if you were interviewing for an fd i would have a number of questions i would want to ask but i the, this is the the bit that i thought was really interesting when one of the ladies who runs a recruitment firm said to me should the challenges pull very few people know what a good answer looks like they might have figured out the questions or they might have pulled the questions from youtube or wherever like you google whatever like top 10 questions to ask an fd in an interview great but if you don't understand what the answers mean and you don't understand what a good answer is, how are you able to evaluate? So having the questions is a fraction of the, the, the result. And I just thought that's such a great point because most of us do, we, we, you know, we go into that recruiting and FD and we go, oh, right, okay, great. And, you know, I mean, I've had, listen, we've had some clients who've had some real challenges with FDs because they haven't known what questions to challenge them on. They haven't known what they should be asking them. They didn't know what they didn't know. And, and, they, and something's caught them out. And it's like, oh, hang on a second, how did that happen? Well, it's actually because we weren't holding the FD accountable because we weren't even clear about what we should be holding them accountable to. And I think all of that stuff is, is, is things that you, is this is having a grown up business. And this is the difference between being as well focused on just PL all the time and focused on balance sheet building as you, as you're buying assets and scaling acquisition, you're building balance sheet value, not always PL and cash. And it's, you know, those are the three things you've got to be able to think about as an entrepreneur all the time. I need to be able to think about sales and cash. I need to think about PL and whether what I'm optimizing for at the moment and where I'm investing my, you know, for, for PL, but also actually what am I doing to build balance sheet? Because actually there comes a point where I'm more, if I'm building for exit, I'm more interested in balance sheet building and what acquisitions are doing to build a balance sheet than I and understanding that short term I might take a hit on my PL. But actually then if if I go raise money, then that might cause me issues because banks are going to look at the PL or not look at the balance sheet. And it's like you have to understand that different you know, private equity is going to be really interested in PL, but they're going to be more interested in balance sheet and growth growth opportunities and what the growth in the market looks like and, and how you could scale. They're more interested in that than necessarily the PL performance. But yeah, they're interested in it, you know, to a point, but it's not going to, they're going to be interested in the team and the growth opportunity over um, whether or not you had a cracking great three year PL period. So again, it's just interesting that 
I think all of this is part of the growing up and being a grown up business owner is starting to understand this game and starting to understand the finance and starting to understand what numbers you actually should be looking at at each different stage. Because obviously, if you're in startup stage, it's all about cash and sales, right? That's all. It's all about sales and cash. You start to scale up and start to get to a million, then P&L starts to become really important so that you've got enough liquidity to fund people and process and systems investment. And then you go, okay, great, and marketing. And then you go, after this, it's about acquisition, which is going to mean I've got to understand raising debt. I've got to understand you know, borrowing money. I've got to understand you know asset finance. I've got to understand, <laughs> I've got to understand leverage at a different level. And I think that's why that, that it's so important to understand the number one investment you should make as an entrepreneur, period, bar none, is investing in your own knowledge and skill. Because it becomes really expensive not to, to know this stuff after a while because you know not knowing it and being the one person in the room who doesn't know what everyone else is talking about and yet you're the one making the decision that's high risk strategy that's a high risk environment if you're sat in a room where you don't understand what everyone else is talking about at a level that they do and you don't and suddenly it's like uh oh I'm 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 making I'm being asked to make decisions about spending you know in some case millions of pounds without really understanding what everyone's talking about uh, and it's like nobody you know there's the whole kind of you know what i mean it's like it's like i've seen it i've seen it where people sat in a room with you know doing a three million pound deal and you're looking at them and you're going i don't think they're really aware of what they're what the person in the room is talking about with balance sheet value debt to you know, equity ratio and all of this stuff yeah, yeah i know <laughs> so I, I think, think it's, that, the, yeah. it's, it's yeah so but i think it, it's it's I, th I think you can't if you you know, Keith Cunningham says it brilliantly, doesn't he? He says, if you're going to play the game of business, you've got to understand the language. And I think I think the number one thing we can do as entrepreneurs, if we want to do acquisitions, is start to get educated about the language, the types of finance, the types of different money that you're going to need, the different lenders. I mean, some of the lenders that now we're in discussions with and got relationships with and stuff that are off high street lenders, there are over 65 off high street lenders that we can talk to and we've got relationships with and we can plug clients into. And, and again, they're all different and they've all got their different sectors that they prefer. And, you know, this this there is a level of complexity to this that is hard to navigate if you're trying to do i'm going to do the trial and error model uh, it's like that's just too risky yeah. anyway i could talk <laughs> I about you think, I, I, think I do that. definitely but we are coming towards the end because um i could talk about it all day though i love this subject <laughs> so uh, we'll have to carry on another time paul <laughs> but anyway if anyone wants to talk to you about acquisitions or how you help them scale where can they find you um, so a couple of things. Um, best thing is probably follow or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I post content there pretty much every single day. So um, LinkedIn, just search Paul Avins, A-V-I-N-S, or go to paulavins.com. Uh, and you can find out there about um, lots of different coaching programs. We run the Masterminds, the retreat we run in Spain in October, uh, where we take uh, about 75 entrepreneurs to a five-star hotel for four days to work on their business and their vision and their strategy and their mindset. Um, you, know, you can find out all about those kind of things on paulavins.com. Oh, brilliant. But, uh, you'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn that's always my favorite place yeah well thanks so much Paul and I just want to say thanks to all our listeners we've doing you know we've had well over a thousand downloads now on the podcast we've only been going about 14 weeks so that's really good um so I'd like to say thanks to all the listeners do hit the subscribe or leave us a rating and review on Apple because it helps more listeners find our show um and I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon so once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast, then please share it with them. Either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a Facebook group or other social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you next time. We've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon.